Good morning. I am Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson. For the first portion of today's program, I will be speaking with Michelle Wright from Spreading Threads, the clothing bank. Oh, hi, Riley. It's Michelle Wright from Spreading Threads Clothing Bank. How are you? I am doing very well. How about you, Michelle? Pretty good. So this is Michelle Wright. Because I, I saw, I was looking at your website. Uh, it's, a, it's a pair of Michelle's. That started uh, yes, spreading threads. with two L's. I know, isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, one of those fun little synchronicities of life. That um, way, nobody gets the name wrong. Right? I feel like we're just helping people out. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to memorize. <laughs> okay, well, um, so Spreading Threads uh, is a clothing bank and relatively new nonprofit organization for Arizona. Um, I saw on your website you started uh, just a couple of years ago, 2018. I guess I'd really like to start things off by hearing more about the issue that you saw in the foster family community and how it led to this clothing bank solution. Sure. Well, first off, I've actually been doing the clothing for about 13 years. Oh, wow. I, uh, I used to work for a commercial interior design furniture company, and I was doing the program for about 10 years just on the side <laughs> then, and then I... Uh, about a couple years ago, I decided to break off and create a new name for the program, which is Spreading Threads, primarily because two two reasons. One, I wanted to dedicate my full time to doing this because I, I could see the need. And secondly, we wanted to be able to qualify for the um, tax credits in Arizona. So mm-hmm. we, by breaking off, they have some very strict rules in terms of qualifying for the foster care tax credit in Arizona. So the programs that qualify for that have to be 100% dedicated to foster care. So that's, qualifying for that has been really instrumental in helping us raise money to grow the program. Okay. But um, the reason I, I started the program was uh, I had adopted, I was a foster parent, had adopted two boys, and uh, my younger son at the time, mom, had a little girl. So I, uh, I got a call from DCS, and they're like, did you adopt this boy? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, well, if mom had a baby, can you come get him? <laughs> it's like an hour and a half notice, and she was two days old. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, so I was inspired by, you know, how do people, how do foster parents deal with this situation, particularly with little babies, you know, when they're so many other things they need, like cribs and, you know, all of that stuff. So it sounded like a really simple idea. I'm like, yeah, let's just collect clothes. And I quickly realized it's not super easy. (laughs) But uh, so we started the clothing bank, and uh, it's just been a very rewarding thing because back in, I think it was 2008, we used to get $300 a year from the state to clothe our kids. Per kid, you get $300, mm-hmm. and it's $150 is what they cut it to, and it still is 150 to this day, oh. which is grossly inadequate. I mean, try to clothe a teenager on $150 oh, yeah. the entire year. It's just, it's just not something that's possible. So that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in a way, it's to, to supplement that uh, resource you're being given to provide for the foster kids guess I'd, I'd like to kind of just understand a little bit more of how spreading threads works. Uh, how do you distribute these items for the people who need them? Perfect. Yeah, great question. So first off, let me tell you who we serve. Yeah. So we serve um, foster, adoptive, 
and kinship uh, family in Arizona. Kinship is, if you don't know what kinship is, that's um, a relative, somebody that had a previous relationship with the child. And then we also will close files that are in the same house because we feel strongly that no one in the home should feel left out. You know, and they're definitely part of the process, even though they may be, you know, a, a temporary sibling or what have you, they're still part of the family. So we want to make sure we're real careful about that. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we have events second Saturday of every month from 9 to 1, and foster families come in, foster adoptive kinship families can come in, and we have used clothes, we have new clothes, we have books, toys, um, baby items, and everything is free to the families. There's never, ever a cost to those families. They just have to bring their paperwork, which is what we call a notice to provider in the foster care world, um, with them, and they can shop. And then I also do emergency pulls for families that maybe are in a tough situation. They can't wait till you know, a couple weeks. So I will do, and especially during the pandemic, I've done probably close to 1,500 emergency pulls outside of our regular events just during COVID. Mm-hmm. So the, that a family reaches out and what have you, and then I go and meet them there. Then it's been a huge need, a, a lot of need, and a lot of kids coming into care. So um, we're available for those kinds of situations as well. How did you handle the um, the pandemic? I guess, like you mentioned, how you did mostly emergency polls. Was that the primary primary way that you were uh, getting folks connected with these uh, resources of what they need uh, during this past year or so? Yeah, I, there was a lot of organizations in the nonprofit world that kind of closed their doors. I just felt very strongly that I couldn't couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So we just really looked at the CDC guidelines. And we were careful. We encouraged families maybe not to bring their kids with. Mm-hmm. So there were a few of us that created a group, and I believe it was called All for One. So it was a group of nonprofits in Arizona, some of them in Phoenix. I think there was only three or maybe four of us down here in Tucson that created this group to try to like wrap services around these families because just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean the need stops. Yeah. In fact, the need probably becomes bigger. Mm-hmm. So we just tried to really be flexible and go with the flow as best we could. We didn't qualify for any of those PPE loans or anything because we didn't have any employees. Mm-hmm. So it was really difficult because, we couldn't benefit from all the programs the government was giving and such. So we just really just hunkered down and tried to communicate with our network in the foster care world as best we could. Mm-hmm. Turn, the community kind of turned within itself to uh, find those solutions, it seems. What are some of the items that uh, you see are being the most high demand for people needing the clothing? Or I know it's more than just clothing. What are those most high demand items for the organization? Sure. Uh, we so we collect clothes from zero to eighteen, uh, boys, girls equally. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you the number one greatest needs um, are brands. We only accept new um, stock underwear, undergarments like bras and things like that. We only accept new in those undergarment categories, and that is hands down the number one thing every family asks for when they come through the door. Do you have any socks? Do you have any underwear? Do you, you know, like. And that's just one thing that we're very strict about. We only accept new. Absolutely. Um, outside of that, there's a lot of uh, 
desire to have shoes. And, you know, shoes where we bet everything that's donated to the clothing bank, I bring to my home and my family and a couple of my close friends. We go through everything. We vet everything to make certain that it's at an appropriate level of what we want to provide kids because I feel strongly that sends a message to the child what they're worth it. Mm-hmm. So no no holes, no stains, no, you know, like kind of worn, balled up clothing, that sort of thing. So we're really careful about that. Um, in terms of clothing itself, outside of the undergarment thing, um, new toys are really awesome. The kids love that. And then kind of grade school age clothing, and by grade school I kind of mean like ages like four or five, that kindergarten age to maybe 12, that seems to be an age range for kiddos who are kind of hard on their clothes or playing sports and things like that. So that is, that's an age demographic that is always in high need. You were saying how you do accept the gently used clothing and uh, stuff like that. I, like countless others, grew up on uh, hand-me-downs from, you know, my older siblings and cousins. Uh, So (laughs) um, how can um, parents who, you know, their kids grow, you know, at this super rate, where can they bring the gently used blue jeans or sneakers that the kid grew out of in a month? Uh, Where is that uh, available? So we have a 24-7 outdoor donation drop-in, and it has literature and tax receipts on the outside because we are also a 501c3, mm-hmm. and that's located at 1870 West Prince. Uh, we are suite 54 and 55, and our big blue bin is in the parking lot right across the street from our front door, so you'll see it right there, right adjacent to our doors. Okay. The other way folks can help, um, is really take advantage of that tax credit. Uh, we are very fortunate that the uh, deadline was extended to May 17th this year for your state uh, tax credit donations, which is really exciting for us little nonprofits that don't have a source of revenue income. Um, we really live and die on those tax credits. It's how we pay our rent and buy, you know, food for our volunteers and fixtures and hangers and things. So, those are the two biggest ways that folks can help the program. Mm-hmm. PR, I encourage people to vet us, you know, and make sure that before they were donating clothes or money that, you know, they vet us too. We wanted to, we, we aim to be very transparent in who we are and who we partner with and what we do. Um, the other way is to, you can email me at spreadingthreads at comcast.net. Um, or my phone number is 971 3237, great code 520. But uh, the website really, I tried to make it all inclusive so you can really hopefully find out everything uh, possible about us in foster care in Southern Arizona. Yeah, when I was looking at it, I noticed how it's it's almost like a hub um, with how much information you have available and links to uh, other resources that foster families may be interested in. So I know that clothing is just one piece of the puzzle, and I really try to help as many families navigate this world because I've been doing it a long time and I know it can be scary and confusing. So I really try to be an advocate to help them work through that. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, I really appreciate you taking this time to just share some information about the Spreading Threads clothing bank and what your organization does for the foster family community and others. It's not just foster families, as we mentioned. Thank you. I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson. For the next portion of the program, I'm speaking with Lauren from Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. 
Hi, Riley. My name is Lauren Bianco. I'm calling from Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. Hi, Lauren. It's nice to speak to you. You too. Well, I'm glad we could have this uh, time to get an update uh, from Emerge. And I guess I would like to start off. Can you just provide a, a brief introduction for those unfamiliar with the, the mission and vision of Emerge? Of course. So the main vision that we have as Emerge is that we believe that we as a community together can effectively eradicate domestic abuse, um, really. That is our larger vision. Vision. Um, but we do need the whole community to do it. Mm-hmm. Our organizational vision is to really support, provide, um, celebrate pe- people living a life free from abuse. So that's that's our mission statement. Okay, wonderful. Um, yeah. Will you take a moment to just share some about like the services and programs that Emerge yeah. provides? For sure. So we have we have a spectrum of services. We start usually with our 24-7 hot, uh, multilingual hotline. Mm-hmm. And that is really where people have an entry point into figuring out um, where their journey is going to begin um, to achieve a life free from abuse. So it could be literally people just asking questions, right? We, we're not, I'm not sure if I'm in an abusive situation, I need some help navigating. I'm not exact, you know, I'm not exactly clear on what my options are. And and it can go from that all the way up to I need to get out immediately. Can you help me safety plan a way to get out of the situation? So from there, um, some it just depends on the person's situation. It's all individualized, but um, we have an emergency shelter program where people can basically uh, seek refuge from the abuse that they might be experiencing in their intimate partnership. Mm-hmm. And they, we do have uh, space for their kids. Um, if people have pets, we have a program where we work with um, other nonprofits around town to ensure that the animals can also be safe. So mm-hmm. that's, that's our emergency shelter program. Mm-hmm. Then um, we also have what we call community-based services which are used by anyone in any of our programs, but are also available to people who don't necessarily need shelter, but do need support in their navigating the uh, relationship that they're in. So that can mean anything from uh, one-on-one sort of appointments with our, with our case managers. It could be um, help with lay legal services. So, you know, they need to file an order of protection or, you know, talk about how, what their options are for divorce. They could um, go to our groups where we have, you know, it's, it's not a therapeutic group per se because we're not licensed in that way, but it's a, it's, it's a therapeutic environment where other survivors are there and, and people learn from each other. Um, and that's also where we house our child and family program where um, children can also get specific services, you know, aimed at their age group to help them understand the situation, the abusive situation that their parent might be in. So so it's a very, um, almost like a custom to each individual's need type of approach. That's right. Okay. That's right. We do also have a very small housing program. So if people are seeking a new home after they have, uh, you know, broken away from their abusive situation, we can help them navigate the housing market and figure out a place for them to go. We also have supplement money to help uh, provide, you know, first and last month's rent, you know, utility bills for a while until that person is on their feet again and able to to pay their way. 
This is Lifestyle Tucson, and I'm speaking with Lauren Bianco from Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. So I had been looking uh, over the the impact report for last year, and I saw that Emerge was able to serve over over 5,600 individuals and uh, providing support for families in the new homes. How does that compare uh, the 2020 report to past years? Hmm. You know, it's... um... It's an interesting question. We've actually pretty much uh, been at that level of participants for, I would say, about, I mean, maybe four years. Okay. Um, It might be, it has varied, right? Because there have been different um, peaks and flows in the community Mm -hmm. that has changed those numbers. But I would say that we hover around the 5,500 to 6,000 range pretty much every year for the last four years. I also saw on your website um, how part of uh, Emerge's work is centered around education, providing those resources, doing yes. like presentations and stuff like that. How uh, was your organization able to continue that aspect of your work in 2020? Yeah. And uh, what are kind of your some of the expectations moving forward? Oh, that's a great question. So d- domestic abuse education is our is one of our core <laughs> services. Mm-hmm. And it's core for our community and it's core for survivors. So if you'll allow me to divert for just a second. Oh, absolutely. I just want to say that um, the reason domestic abuse education is so important is because a lot of times when people are, are experiencing abuse, they don't have the language to understand what's going on. So there will be many people who call us on, their, on our hotline and say, I don't know if this is an abusive situation. And we will then use some domestic sort of formal domestic abuse education to help people understand their situation. And a lot of times all they needed was somebody to give them the lexicon that they that they needed to understand and, and like put life into their experience that says, yeah, you, you know, you are your experience is valid. Mm-hmm. And here's why. So. We, we find our community education, whether it's to a survivor specifically on the hotline or to a big community group, uh, extremely important. So to answer your question, we have been doing lots of virtual trainings, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you might imagine, um, as lots of people have in the community. Um, we've provided them um, mostly via um, request. So we've been getting, you know, we get requests through our website or we just have relationships with different community partners and they'll say, hey, can you come in and do a presentation for our nurses or for this volunteer group or for this um, quilting group? You know, it really varies depending on the group that's interested in the information, but it could be anywhere from, you know, the medical profession all the way to, you know, your grandma's quilting group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Whoever wants to learn, it's uh, available. So, right. oh, and as a second part of your question was the expectation, we are we are um, still we are still available to provide the domestic abuse education. I would encourage people to go on our website and fill out the form, um, and we're happy to schedule some Zoom time to uh, to do any kind of education anyone wants. Real quick, what is your website? Uh, a little more on like the hotline yeah. and how people can kind of get connected um, for with the information. Sure. So EmergeCenter.org is our website. It has a lot of information on there. Just it, It's both um, good information for people who are seeking services, people who are, who are trying to support someone 
um, who are who's experiencing abuse, and then also donors and people in the community who are interested in figuring out how to get involved. Our hotline, so that we have two. Um, our our local one is five two zero seven nine five four two six six, and the toll free number is one eight 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 four two eight zero one zero one and all of that is on our website as well yeah and you mentioned those are both those are multilingual correct Uh, that's right awesome wonderful so we've been kind of discussing uh what emerge can provide for the community and i would like to hear uh kind of what the organization needs in turn from the community to continue its efforts um in kind donations donations volunteers what are you needing at this time um, well, the big thing we always talk about when, when this question comes up is we need the community to educate educate themselves and educate each other on how to intervene in domestic abuse situations um, and do the, you know, do the real root cause work into ourselves to figure out how do we show up in these circumstances and, like, how can we be supportive in our community of other people who are experiencing abuse. So that's really, like, the big push we, we frequently talk about. The, the tangible things that you're asking about, mm-hmm. so um, donations are always really, really helpful. You know, with the pandemic, we have, um, while we have been very, very blessed with generous donors and generous um, funding sources, we also had to, you know, get rid of all of our in-person events, which were also fundraising generators. And so that's been difficult. And we're always grateful for any any person who is willing to give you know, financial donations. In-kind donations, um, we have a list on our website. It's a wish list. And it varies, honestly, depending on the time of year and what is what supplies are low. There's always a need for certain core items like diapers and formula and shoes and um, toiletry items. And also any kind of um, hair care products that are uh, more multicultural than, you know, sort of your mainstream mm-hmm. um, toiletry products, too. So that's always a need. Um, volunteers. So there's definitely some limitations on volunteers right now just because of the pandemic, but we're always looking for volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have both direct and indirect volunteer opportunities. So indirect meaning like office work, you know, data entry, helping with organization, that kind of that kind of stuff, helping at events when, when we're able to have them. And then direct services are people who are helpful with our participants. So answering the hotline, working with the children, working with folks who are trying to navigate housing. Um, that's, that's always a need as well. The only thing I will mention about direct uh, volunteers is there is an interview process and a uh, a pretty extensive training period as well. Oh, absolutely. That makes that makes sense. <laughs> Why you would yeah. <laughs> uh, need that. So, before I, I let you go, is there any other just news um that you would like to share about uh Emerge and what's going on right now? You know, I would say that we're just very proud of the fact that we have been able to stay open. Mm-hmm. Um of course, we're we we're virtual um most of the time. But we're, we're just um, we're very much dedicated to ensuring that people in the community have the services that they need. Um, you know, domestic abuse uh, has become a, a more spotlighted issue in the in the national news and the local news 
primarily because the pandemic has forced people to um, isolate. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the most dangerous elements of domestic abuse. Um, So if you're already experiencing abuse and now you've had to isolate because of the health concerns, it can be doubly dangerous for, for domestic abuse survivors. So we have stayed pretty steadfast in ensuring that our services stay open to make sure that those survivors can still access us as much as possible. Uh, Well, this is Lifestyle Tucson. I've been speaking with a VP of Operations and Development for Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse, uh, Lauren Bianco. And I really appreciate you uh, taking this time to speak with me again today. And just real quick again, uh, will you just share that website for anyone who would like to know? Absolutely. It's uh, www.emergecenter.org. Well, thank you again for taking this time. It was great getting an update from you. Thanks so much. This has been Riley with Lifestyle Tucson. And if you are part of a nonprofit organization that would like to be featured in an upcoming episode of Lifestyle Tucson, you can reach out at publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That is publicaffairs, all one word, at azlotus.com. And for more information about the Lifestyle Tucson program, head to mixfm.com, klpx.com, kfma.com, or espntucson.com.